Kia ora and welcome to the Authentic Connection podcast. My name is Laura and I am so glad you have found your way here. In each inspiring conversation, myself or Tish will dive into what it takes to slow down in this fast-paced, distracted world and how to find true, authentic connection. It's a place we can share stories, wisdom and learn from each other's journeys. I am coming to you today from Humphrey the High Ace. Myself and Ted, my partner, we are currently doing the van life thing, so we are on the road. We are about three months in, started in about November last year, and it's been incredible. We've done a lot of the North Island already, and we are currently situated at the top of the South Island in the beautiful Golden Bay. We've been doing a whole bunch of rock climbing over the past week or so. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. A little update from me. Today's conversation is with Logan Pike. If you've been to any of the honeypot ceremonies, you'll know who I am speaking with. He has taken us through a ecstatic dance and he has done a yin yoga honeypot journey. Uh, Logan is a yoga teacher, he's a breathwork facilitator and a passionate ecstatic dancer. Logan shares his journey from drugs and partying to yin yoga and ecstatic dance. And we kind of consider, do we really need drugs to get high? Is, is a natural high as good as a synthetic high? Mm, arguably, yes. <laughs> we talk about uh, embracing emotions. We talk about sharing challenging experiences and the pure, simple magic of a sunrise. This beautiful man has really experienced it all and has so much wisdom to share because of it. Let's, uh, let's dive into my conversation with Logan Pike. Enjoy. Hi Logan, it is incredible to be able to interview you today for the Authentic Connection podcast, so thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. I've got um, a heap of things I want to ask you, and we have had some really incredible conversations even in the past, um, so I'm excited to dive into some of these topics. Cool. So first of all, I suppose I'd love to hear a little bit about your sort of gateway into this realm of yin yoga, breathwork, ecstatic dance. And I think it was yin yoga that drew you in. Yeah, so yin yoga was essentially my first my first therapy, if you will. It was the first... I'll go back a little bit further than that. So, Please do. So yoga had been in and out of my life for a, a couple of years, just sort of something that I'd practice here and there. I'd been traveling, so it was nice to occasionally do a video online. I had an ex-girlfriend who was very, very into yoga. So there was it was always sort of in my life in little drips and drabs here and there, but I was quite resistant to it until about, let's say, a couple of years ago, I was starting to really hit uh, not the first, not the second, maybe, maybe third or fourth proper burnout with alcohol and drugs. And I had already done a teacher training by this point. But again, even that was still something that I did temporarily and then sort of completely put aside, went back to went back to my unhealthy lifestyle that I was once upon a time living, which was just in restaurant managing, working late nights, not sleeping much, doing a lot of drugs, drinking a lot. And I had just completely burnt out and hit a wall. And I knew I needed to do something. And I knew that yoga was the only thing in my life that had made me feel good and good in a way that lasted until the next morning and further on than that. And so I went into the yoga studio up the road that I was familiar with and I just went, I need to do something, but 
I'm tired and the idea of doing a vinyasa class or even just sitting in a meditation right now just seems too daunting, too far away from from where I am. But I went, I can go into a yin class. That should be, (laughs) that should be easy. (laughs) It should be nice and relaxing. Um, It's nice and slow from what I remember. And I went in and it was just, it was just brutal because it was all just deep stretching and holding poses. And it was the first time that I'd really been, I'd been alone, but it was the first time that I'd been like alone in a dedicated manner, Mm. not just alone. And then, you know, uh, I'd I'd have thoughts running wild to try to go do the next thing. And I'd Mm. distract myself with stuff, whether it was because I was drinking or working or out doing other things. This was the first time in a long time that I really got to just be completely alone Mm. in my own space in the middle of this yoga studio and working in my body that had become very, very tight and very, very tense and had forgotten how to fully relax Mm. without the use of stimulants. Um, And there's a big difference between real relaxation and artificial relaxation. And so yin yoga became my therapy because it was brutal. And that first time, all I did was just feel angry and frustrated and sad. And I'm not sure if I necessarily cried on that first class, but I definitely cried when I got home. And afterwards, I just sat down with my teacher and just said, this is what I'm going through at the moment. I'm trying to get myself sober. I'm trying to get myself back to to something. And I think this is it. I think this practice is going to work. And she she related to me. She said she had a similar similar sort of story into yoga teaching. And, uh, and I just thought, that's cool. Okay, this practice works for other people. I'll give it a proper go. Mm. And so yin yoga, I was going to... Uh, if not twice, three times a week, basically every class that they had on that studio um, on their schedule I was going to. I eventually got healthy enough to start walking around more, moving, doing other, doing vinyasa classes, doing hatha classes, doing other styles of yoga. But it was yin yoga that brought me in. It was yin mm-hmm. yoga that started to help me work through just all of my just rubbish, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything, all just that anger, that frustration. Um, it was really, really hard work. And, but just the result afterwards felt good. Mm. I think it was a good way to, to, to explain it is it was, I'd spent my whole life chasing pleasure, chasing um, hedonism. And when you do that, you get to enjoy short-lived highs and then you pay for them afterwards. Mm. This was the other way around. Mm. It was like the class that I was doing, practicing yin yoga, sitting in a deep stretching pose my knees would be having an absolute meltdown. My hips would be freaking out. My thoughts are going crazy. I'm, I'm getting really frustrated. I'm feeling really aggressive. I'm crying. And, but then afterwards, I could sleep. Mm. And I hadn't slept like mm. that in forever. I started to feel good. And eventually, I started to feel free. And my body started to open up. And mm. yeah, that that just has stayed with me for a really long time. And then when I did come around to starting to teach yoga, it was just... it was it was just obvious to me that that was where I was going to start off with. I went, that's what I know really works. Mm. All the other styles of yoga that I practice are good. Um, breathwork and ecstatic dance came into my life a little bit later, but mm. yin was that base. It was that mm. foundation where I went, I don't need to have practice teaching this. I just know that this is something that I'm going to be able to sit down and deliver to people because it's why I'm here. It's why I'm still here. Mm. It's why I'm here in this good place now. Yeah. Well, that experience that you'd had by doing the classes, I think, mm-hmm. really shapes the way that, like, your incredible ability to hold space and take an incredible young class. Because in the Western world, experiential way of learning is almost not a valid way of learning. You mm-hmm. have to intellectualize things to learn it. Whereas in Eastern philosophies, there 
much more about being able to experience things and therefore being able to understand it. Yeah, even I found just Eastern teachings, even when they are intellectual teachings, if it's you're reading a book on philosophy or you're reading a book on anatomy or whether it's Mm. you're reading about the chakra systems, things Mm. like that, they don't directly say it. Maybe because it's a cultural thing, it's already understood, which but it's not necessarily for us. But it's all sort of taken with a grain of salt, even when it's written down, literally. I mean, the chakra system, no one, they, they, no, one, no, one, no one believes that if you know, we cut a body open, you're actually going to find some spinning balls of energy at these different points in the body. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that it's like a metaphor or anything like that. It's, it's a belief system that's sort of taken, on, taken with a grain of salt you know, in comparison to Western medical journal, which would be, you know, if you cut open the body, you are going to find this bone here, this This organ here. And so that's sort of how we grow up learning. Mm. And then when it comes to trying to embrace Eastern philosophy and culture, we're like, that doesn't make sense. We need it to be black and white. We need Mm. it to be tangible. And so that that there's a bit of a language barrier, cultural barrier, really. I've done a Vipassana recently, Mm -hmm. and their big thing is... You're here to experience, Mm. not here to learn. Like, that's why they don't allow you to bring journals or read books. They're so heavy on the experience. And I think that's a cool, different way to look at things because as a generalization, we're so in our heads and we're out of our bodies. And I think that yin yoga and the other things we're going to talk about are pretty incredible ways to get out of our heads and back into our bodies a bit so we can actually understand that our bodies are trying to talk to us, you know? The sensations are mm. there, our emotions are there in our bodies, you know? They're not just in our heads. Yeah. I'll just sort of I'll give you a more grounded answer to, to what you did just ask. Yeah, I haven't had any formal training in yin yoga mm. or breathwork or ecstatic dance. Yeah. You can go and get it. You can go. There are teachers who do certain trainings and these things, and I don't see any problem with doing the training. My only actual background, when I did my 200-hour teacher training... It was it was hatha focused. We mm. did a little bit of ashtanga. We did a little bit of other things, but you know, I sort of left that left that practice going. Okay, that was interesting. What I got from that experience was what does it feel like to live and breathe yoga every single day for a month intensely, mm. um, and to do that in India with you know people from a very different way of thinking and just sort of really dive into something I hadn't I hadn't like dived into before. But then, yeah, exactly when it came to teaching yin, it was just from. It was what I knew, and mm. I knew that from personal experience, from going into it, from being being a student without the intention of becoming a teacher, mm. just being a student because I was just doing what I needed for me, mm. and then thinking that someone else surely will benefit from it in the way that I benefited from it. Absolutely. Not all of my practices have I found that, but yin yoga particularly is the big one that every single week there's people who are just, you know, they come in and they go, oh my goodness, I can't sit still at all, and I'm like... Right, that's why I do it. Yeah. I don't do it because I can sit still and because it's easy for me and because I read some books and it made sense and I like the sound of it. I, I teach this because it's hard mm. for me and it's still hard for me now. Mm. It's a little more comfortable than it was a few years ago, but mm. um, that's I do it because it because I know it worked for me. Yeah. And, um, and I'm seeing it work for other people. Mm. And the experience comes from my own practice and then it's evolved now just from teaching. Mm. Yeah. If you, if your practice is that you're, or if you, if you want to teach something and you don't really have the full experience yourself and whether you're, whether you just, if you've gone and got a qualification and you're not sure if you're ready or not, you'll know very quickly. I just um, think if you don't have the true deep experience, then you actually can't 
teach authentically. Yeah, that's it. If you, and if you go and you make an attempt, you'll you'll know because it won't be it won't be well received, mm-hmm. and that's not a problem. That's okay. That's a that's way of figuring it out. That's feedback. a way of figuring out what's working. Exactly. It's feedback. Feedback in the sense of, you know, if it's critical feedback, it's not going to feel good, but mm. it's how you know. And, and that's and that's it. The qualifications and things may give you a bit of a, a confidence to get into things, but you'll know. You'll know just by doing it. And that's really scary to sort of have that faith in ourselves and not have faith in a piece of paper. Mm. Uh, and there's value, in, there's value in education. There's value in... And improving your skills. I'm actually going to be going back to study at university for the first time in my life next year. So, I'm, so I'm not completely boycotting studying and getting qualifications, but valuing the education and valuing the experience rather than valuing the qualification is very, very important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about breathwork. Just explain what it is and how you think it can benefit people. So breathwork is an umbrella term, and I've been teaching... I've been working with breathwork for the whole time I've been back in Auckland, so almost a year and a half now. Mm. Been in my life personally a little bit, a little bit longer than that, maybe th- three years. And I get asked this question all the time, and I still don't have a like a very exact answer to it because there's so much to it. But uh, breathwork is an umbrella term. Any time that you're working with the breath consciously, mm. I mean we're, we're breathing constantly all day long. Uh, if we didn't, we would suffocate every time we lost focus. But any time that you're consciously choosing to breathe, that's some sort of breath work. Mm. So I do like to start off when I talk about breath work to sort of remind everyone that breath work is just breathing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just instead of letting it be an autonomous response to keep you alive, it's a conscious choice to work with the breath, to work with something that you've already mm. got. The work that I do with breath work is most uh, so I'll, I'll, i do two hour workshops quite commonly and that's become a bit of a like a bit of a structure that i like to to work with and when i do work do these group workshops i'll start we'll probably spend about half of the workshop going through just really basic breathing techniques just learning how to breathe the different parts of the lungs so breathing with the stomach breathing with the ribs breathing with the chest breathing with the shoulders and all that is just starting to really really tune into all the different parts of the body that are moving rather than it just being an inhale and an exhale Mm. and that's it there's Mm. different parts of the body that are moving there's different ways that you can inhale different ways you can exhale we also like to um like to work through full deep breathing it's a very large amount of people that i work with struggle to breathe fully Mm. Uh, and that's not a physical thing because we all have lungs and we Mm. can all we can fill we can all fill them up uh completely with air but there's a psychological barrier. I get questions with the work that I'm doing, mostly around the full breath. That's a big part of working of breath work is just bringing an awareness to the different ways that we can breathe mm. and the depth that we can breathe to. It's sort of like, you know, you always hear people talking about we only use 10% or 20% or whatever of our brains, uh, whether or not, you know, whether or not there's, there's truth to that. But it's a similar sort of thought to this. We only use a certain percentage of our lungs and there's so much just power and energy we can bring into our bodies and so much we can do with that full breath when we learn how to breathe really deep and when we learn how to breathe really deep in a calm manner. Uh, so that's a big part of the work I do, just teaching people how to breathe yeah. and just bringing awareness to that. And that alone, just that practice alone, will start to bring up all the good stuff because everyone will start to go, oh, I feel really relaxed. Mm. I feel really energized. There's this energy that you find that's 
It's a relaxed energy, and those two words wouldn't normally be used in the same sentence. They're almost contradicting words. You, if you picture someone full of energy, you picture them running around or sort of a bit erratic, and you picture someone calm. They're usually sitting still. There's a there's a sweet spot between the two where you're energized, you feel ready to take on the world, but there's no rush, and that's that's the main thing I think that happens with working with the breath. I then will do.、Uh, I, I work with something called circular breathing, which、yeah. is Which again is a bit of a broad term. I've worked with lots of teachers who work with circular breathing or things that are very similar. They might call it a different name, and it changes. It's progressively changing、mm. from month to month. The more and more I work with it, and I sort of go back and forth and play around with it. But circular breathing, put really simply, is just a continuous breath in and out. It's not a. It's not the fullest, deepest breath you can take, but it's just consciously choosing to breathe in and out. You know, visualizing a circle, the breath is constantly flowing, just like a circle does.、Um, there's no change. There's no. There's no stopping in the breath.、Mm. It's just an inhale straight into an exhale, straight into an inhale, straight into an exhale, continuing、mm. round, just like a circle. The difference between that and any other style of breathing or a natural breath is that you're paying attention to it the whole time, and there's no pausing.、Mm. So it's just this really deep, intense state of consciousness. And focusing on one thing for that amount of time is just a really deep form of meditation, and it's really challenging. It's really hard to keep the mind focused on something as simple as the breath、mm. for that long.、Mm. And when you go into that space, you just start to unpack all of the stuff that you're carrying. The body starts to go through all sorts of physical changes. All the tension that's tied down in your muscles and your bones, anywhere in the body, starts to Starts to come up.、Um, if it's your first time practicing, it's quite common to feel really tight hands. The body starts to curl, and the body can feel really painful.、Mm. You might start to feel old injuries and start to feel tension moving up and out from the body. And this is just from the breath, just focusing in really in, in detail for you know for a certain amount of time. It's just giving yourself that space to finally let go of all of the stuff that you've been carrying. And once you've done that, you're just left open and free.、Mm. It's just like you're. You're unpacking all the baggage that you've been carrying around, and so you're not carrying the same weight anymore. So you just have that extra energy. So yeah, so it's good for unpacking everything, for dropping、mm. all the weight, and it's just good for energizing, recharging、mm. your batteries, just、mm. breathing in that oxygen, and just reflushing、mm. your whole system. So from both ends, it's、mm. amazing. It's、mm. challenging and hard because it's dropping away things that that you've been carrying for a really long time.、Uh, it also energizes you. And brings in a whole sense of sense of power and clarity, and it's very normal to find breathwork as a really big challenge. And I have lots of lots like lots of resistance to it. Some people fall asleep. Some people just struggle、pull、with、out. the focus, and yeah, just sort of pull out from it. And that's okay because it's not necessary、mm. to do this work.、Mm. It's not necessary to do any of this work、it's、to survive. Choice, it's a choice. Yeah. Uh, if you want to just get from one end of your life to the other without too much fuss or too much hassle, you don't need to do any of this stuff. But if it's important to you to enjoy your life or at least enjoy part of your life, then it's absolutely crucial. Yeah, it's absolutely crucial to do all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just for me probably the most powerful tool for clearing those blocks. Whenever you feel stuck, whenever you just feel like I can't move, I can't do this. Whenever that word can't comes、mm. up. Breathe. Yeah. The breath is either going to help you slow things down enough to see what you do need to do, or it's going to give you the energy and the power that you do need to do the things that you already know、mm. you need to do.、Mm. Whatever angle it's coming from, it's going to work.、Mm. It's not necessarily going to be as 
peaceful as you're hope, maybe hoping it to be. Yeah. But it it works. Yeah. <laughs> Feels good out the other end, I think, is one of the big For sure, things, yeah. Uh, you're not having a good time necessarily in the middle of it. <laughs> no. No, it's, um, it's also quite a... I almost want to say psychedelic experience. Mm. That's, I think, a, a, a something I, I should touch on with it as well. If you Google breathwork, you'll get a very mixed bag of, of responses. I just wouldn't recommend that you do. I mean, feel free to. But you may come across, or you may have heard, if you're familiar with breathwork, uh, something called like a natural DMT release. Mm. And I believe that this is sort of across the board with with yoga, with meditation, with all these different practices all of these things that I would consider a sort of holistic wellness practices, just even eating healthy, just yeah. being attention, paying attention to that, all of those things that that make you feel good. I think if you really, really go into them, they all start to, they all start to release all sorts of different feel good chemicals in the brain and the body. I've done a lot of drugs, and I thought when I stopped doing drugs that I went, okay, that's it. I'm just going to have to be okay with not feeling those highs again i'm just gonna mm. have to get to a point it, it got bad enough for me that the, the lows highs got, weren't worth it yeah exactly the lows were getting bad enough that i went okay i'm doing this work now to stop feeling those lows mm. and i'll i'll sacrifice the highs for that and i'll just find a sort of middle ground but then through breath work and then where i'll go with ecstatic dance as well is that's where i started to go oh well no i can feel higher than i ever thought i could feel and i'm present and i'm conscious and I can share this with other people because we're not just gonna go back to our normal selves tomorrow and forget what's happened and we're not yeah. gonna I'm not gonna wake up at midday tomorrow and go, What did I just do? Yeah. I'm gonna wake up at six AM and go, I feel better because of that mm. and it's just gonna keep going. Yeah. Yeah. None of the lows. None of the lows. The lows. So the lows are the work you do first. Yeah. A- again, it's the same thing yeah. with the yin yoga. It's yeah, the hangover yeah, it's first. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go through you go through all that stuff first. To get to then, it's, yeah, if you can think of it, it's like climbing a mountain. Yeah. It's like when you do drugs, you are being transported to the top of the mountain going, wow, cool. And then you have to spend the rest of the day figuring out how to get down. And that's really, that's really challenging, really hard. Yeah. Um, whereas this is the other way you get to climb all the way, you climb all the way up to the mountain and that's hard and that's hard work. And you halfway up, you're realizing, oh, I'm carrying too much weight and you've got to drop some stuff. So not only do you get to the top of the mountain and that's your reward at the end there. So through whatever work you're doing, sitting through that, you know, and it does feel like work, eventually you get to the top of the mountain. And once you're there, you're just so appreciative of that view and you're so appreciative of where you are and you're free Mm. and you can do what you want. You can stay up there if you want, knowing that you can get back down, Mm. knowing that if you do get back, go back down again, you're going to know how to get back up. Mm. Yeah, and you can continue on. This this sort of metaphor finds a limitation here because it's not really just one mountain. It's sort of no. a consistent journey up. But yeah, that's it. It's the hangover first. And then, so there is a, the low you have to get through. But the more you do the work, the less, you don't feel less lows because there's always something to sort of work through. You yeah. can do this work in big doses, get through years worth of stuff and then go, okay, cool, I've had a good run for a little while. My practice is feeling really good and I feel really... I feel really nice and I'm getting used to it. But then something will come up in your life. Something happens, you know, with your friends, your family, your relationships. Something happens with you. We're never going to be on top of absolutely everything. um, And that's completely okay. But when you start to associate the work and the challenge of the work with the uh, positive outcomes, it stops being so 
it stops feeling so low. Mm. It just you just recognize it as oh cool, I'm doing the work again, and you have a positive association with the work. Mm. That takes a little bit of time and conditioning, but yeah, when you get to there, you don't you don't stop feeling the lows, but you just stop seeing them as lows.、Mm. You start to recognize them for the lessons that they're going to be, and that's exciting. It just becomes exciting to go oh wow, I'm here again. Yeah, I'm learning something new. I'm not feeling it right now, and I'm、mm. struggling right now. But、mm. man, is it going to feel good afterwards? Yeah, you understand that it is temporary. It's、mm. permanent.、Mm-hmm. It's going to go away. The more work you do, the less you attach to things. I think as well is one of、yeah. the big ones. Yeah, I'll use a, a metaphor that I use. If you've ever been to any of my yin classes, you might have heard me say this multiple times. I think it's an important,、um, an important piece of philosophy. Your clothes. Change、mm. across your life. Your skin changes. Your body changes. You'll lose weight. You'll gain weight. Your skin will age. It'll change color. You'll change your hairstyle. You'll change the things you like. You'll hang out with different people. You'll spend time in different relationships. Your thoughts will change.、Uh, your emotional state will change. All of these things are consistently changing. But there is a part of you that has been you all the way since before you were even born. Before、mm. you even before you were even aware of the fact that there was a you. And that's always that's always going to to going to be there, and that is the only sort of constant that there is.、Mm. That there will always be you, and that you is able to feel all sorts of different complex things all at one time. But everything is temporary.、Mm. Everything is temporary, except for you. That's taken me a little while to sort of get my head around. I think I started saying it before I really felt like I understood it, and sometimes、yeah. I don't feel like I understand、yeah. it because sometimes. I've been carrying particular thoughts or doubts or beliefs for long enough that I forget they're not me.、Mm. Um, it's kind of like if you were to—I've got a tattoo on my chest,、mm. um, and I've had that since I was eighteen, and I forget it's there. I forget that I once upon a time didn't have that. Yeah. If I really sit down and think about it, I can remember the time when I didn't have that. Let's let's use it as as an as an emotion.、Um, let's say that you've felt you feel angry. And you can't remember the last time you didn't feel angry.、Mm. In fact, anger's been a part of your life since before you were forming memories.、Mm. That's really hard to see yourself without that.、Mm. But it's still just a temporary part of you.、Mm. Um, so this is a big problem when it comes to things like depression and anxiety, because a lot of the time you may have been experiencing that for a really, really long time. So it seems when someone says, you know, it'll pass, these things change, it's really hard to kind of go, no, but they never, they've always been here. They. Haven't? Yeah. Nothing's always been here. You weren't here. At some point, you weren't here. At some、yeah. point, you were. You know, I'm not necessarily sure what you were before you came into this physical <laughs> form. But at some point, your body wasn't here.、Mm. You were a couple of cells from your parents, and eventually, you grew up to what you are right now. And everything else along the way is just things that you've picked up. Whether you've been holding onto it forever or not、mm. is irrelevant, and you have the potential to drop everything. But that's really scary because、mm. when you have associated that with you, it feels like you're putting yourself down or you're losing a part of yourself, which is impossible.、Mm. You can't put down something that is a part of you. I'm going to contradict myself here for this little metaphor to explain this,、um, because as I've just said, that the physical body is not is not forever. But imagine taking off your clothes. You can take off your clothes and you can put them down somewhere and you can put on different clothes. So that's easy to sort of think. Okay, so your clothes are not you; they're just something that you wear, and they're temporary. You can、yeah. change them in a heartbeat. Try putting down your hand, yeah, and walking away from it. 
that's what it's like with your core. If you can put something down, and I guess this is why it contradicts because you could cut off your hand and you could yeah. still walk off and away from it, but there is a core part of you that you can't put down. Yeah. So if anything, if you're going into any of these practices and you start to feel like, oh, I don't want to let go of this, I don't want to do that because I feel like I can, uh, I feel like I, I am this way or this is a part of me, I am my whatever feeling, I am an angry person, I am a person who likes eating this food i am i am a person who likes doing this and that's who i am cool yeah test it yeah try do it the other way around and see how you feel because if it truly is a part of you you won't be able to put it down Mm. but if you are able to let go of it and you're able to change then it was never a part of you to begin with so there is no fear there Mm. and so do you think that somebody in order to change Mm -hmm. do you think somebody has to make whatever we're talking about that quality that Thing, that way they're eating whatever do you think they have to make that take that away from their identity in order to be able to put it down there well i think some are e- some things are really easy so for example let's say that you know you've lived a particular way in your life and then uh let's say your pet dies and you feel sad and you haven't felt that sadness before it's really easy to sort of go okay that sadness is going to go away because i didn't feel it before and so that there are certain things which you can just sort of just bringing an acknowledgement to it just bringing an awareness to it just pointing out going oh yeah okay i am feeling this way and i wasn't before is sometimes enough for you to remember okay i didn't have it before uh it's not part of me and a lot of the times just sitting with something and just acknowledging it writing it down writing how Mm. are you feeling how did you feel before is enough so sometimes I just let those things go. When I'm teaching yin classes, I'll get people to sort of just, you know, think about how does your body feel right now? Just bringing an awareness to what's going on is often enough for you to let it go. If you're sitting in a yin class and you're really tight, which a lot of the time you don't notice, mm. you'll be in a position where there's no need for any of the muscles to be holding on, but they are because they're kind of going, no, I want to hold this stiffness. I want to hold this because I don't trust the floor to support my body. Mm. But then when you realize, so often as a cue, I'll often say, relax your hands. And then half the class will suddenly spread out their hands and they've let go. They didn't even know they were holding their hands tight, but they're letting it go. Sometimes just the awareness that your hands are holding on is enough to let them soften. Sometimes just the awareness that you're feeling something temporary is enough to let it go. But when have you been holding on to it for a long time? Yeah. It's a little bit harder. And so my response to that is to just lean into it. Mm. If If you're starting to recognize that a particular way of thinking a particular way of feeling a particular way of acting if you've been in a relationship for a long time you've got friends that you've had for a long time and you're just starting to maybe think that they're not working but you just feel like they're such it's all such a part of you that you can't let it go Mm. just acknowledging it that it's temporary can sometimes seem impossible but just challenge it lean into it see how see how much you can challenge it by I don't want to say make it worse, but go and sit with it. So if you're feeling quite frustrated and you've always felt frustrated, I don't want to try and sell, try and sell my practices there. Go to a yin class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to a yin class and really, really feel it. Because sometimes you just need to feel it so much that you reach a level of exhaustion where you go, oh, okay, I've had enough. And then you go, oh. Yeah. If it can reach a limit, it has a limit. Mm. If it has a limit, it's not limitless and mm. therefore it's temporary. Mm. And that's really, really hard. I don't encourage anyone to make their lives purposely uncomfortable. But if something's becoming uncomfortable, but you just don't know how to let it go, embrace that discomfort, sit with it. Don't yeah. try to numb it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to look around it. Don't go, how can I make this easier for myself? How can I make my life more comfortable? How can you make it more challenging? How can you sit with that discomfort so much mm. that the discomfort itself goes, okay, I give up, you win. And you can do that pretty much through anything. If 
you are an avid you're an avid yin yoga practicer and you find that that's really relaxing for you but you really struggle when it comes to dancing or you really struggle when it comes to vinyasa classes or you struggle to sit in meditation go and do those things for a little bit if nothing's changing but you're just not quite content with where you are right now go and do something that you find uncomfortable something that you know is uncomfortable and see how that makes you feel go and challenge that ego go and challenge that response Mm because i can guarantee you that that core essence of you is stronger the ego just lets just likes to convince you that it's stronger yeah Yeah. but it's not otherwise (laughs) otherwise it wouldn't be scared yeah yeah it wouldn't be scared if it knew deep down that it was going to survive yeah (laughs) cool yeah that's a really great interesting perspective Mm. if you're feeling the discomfort almost if you are open to exploring make it worse for a bit yeah i think i really like it i think just just don't do anything dangerous no no i know exactly i mean i mean you know take it with a grain of salt but i i understand that just that general discomfort so for example yeah let's do that like going and sitting in a yenura class me was it was uncomfortable it was and it was easy for me to go i'm going to ignore this because Mm. it's uncomfortable i'm going to try i I could just not go and i could just go continue keep doing keep drinking or maybe do more drugs that would make my life more comfortable temporarily Mm. if you keep doing that and you keep avoiding what's going on if you keep avoiding and resisting what is clearly trying to change uh it's going to find its way you know it just had to get to the point where other people were starting to notice to notice my habits before I before I like realized I needed to make a change, you decide how uncomfortable you want it to get. You decide when it's enough. Mm. And if you're resisting that change because oh, I don't want to do something that's a little uncomfortable out of my comfort zone, fine. Mm. Let it get worse until you're ready. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But if something's coming up, sit with it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and ecstatic dance has come up a couple of times, and I mm-hmm. have done your done your class, your practice before. Mm. So tell us about that. How did you first get exposed to ecstatic dance? And so, dancing has had an interesting an interesting role in my life. When I was about twelve, I for about for two years, I did. Uh, I think we just called it dance sport or ballroom dancing, which is yeah, just ballroom dancing, learning like cha cha, samba, those sorts of things. If- which at the time I didn't really think about it. I guess it was pre-puberty before I really started thinking about oh how do I look to other people yeah. I don't really have much of an awareness to you know being embarrassed or anything and I used to love it and it was great I then stopped doing it when I went to high school because I I guess I really properly hit puberty and went oh this is embarrassing I don't want to do this it's not cool and it was just not culturally accepted so I stopped I stopped doing that I don't think I really I uh, got back into dancing. Um, I probably would have spent my last, you know, my last year of high school partying mm. um, too much, and probably would have danced a little bit then. But it would have also just been like heavily intoxicated. That was sort of it. When I left school, I started to go through different stages. Started working, started losing sort of confidence in myself. When I was younger, I felt a little bit more willing to do things out of my comfort zone, or at least I wasn't aware enough of myself to really even think about Mm. what other people might have thought about me and then I started thinking too much Mm. and I stopped dancing it was uh, a couple years out of high school I think I'd been living overseas for a little bit at this point so it must have been my first time coming home after living overseas and uh, I went out with a friend and this was my first time sort of trying to be sober I never saw it as a long-term thing but I would have been I would have been maybe 21 at the time and I just wasn't going to drink for a while and I went out with a friend and I just said to him, like, I don't, I'm, like, I don't like dancing. I'm really not comfortable dancing. And he just couldn't believe it. 
because he was I mean for one obviously just that's absurd everyone likes dancing but also he just he remembered me from high school and sort of was yeah. like yeah but you love this stuff like you're always socializing and out and these things and I was like I just couldn't couldn't even be there we went out we were at um some sort of nightclub it wasn't particularly busy it wasn't particularly amazing and I just freaked out and I just told him I think I'm gonna leave I'm uncomfortable here and then he remembers it as he just sort of turned away and turned back and I was gone. Oh, my gosh. And I, I remember, I forgot about that experience until I um, had a conversation about dancing with this friend. Um, and, yeah, I realized that sort of helped. That's, that's where I was with dancing. I couldn't even be in a room full of other people dancing because the idea of dancing was just too scary. And I convinced myself that I'd never danced. I forgot that I spent two years practicing ballroom dancing. I forgot that I used to um, dance, you know, through high school and that that was something that someone had remembered about me. It was something so apparent. And I'd, I'd forgotten all that. I'd repressed all that to avoid myself from that mm. uh, social scrutiny, I guess. Then I moved to... I moved back to Sydney on my own. I couldn't tell you when I would have started dancing again, but I got into the scene of bartending and going out late and living in a in a big big I guess fun wild city and I was experiment starting to experiment with drugs and alcohol and would have you know eventually become more comfortable dancing because I would have been so inebriated that all of my inhibitions are gone all my insecurities are gone um but I did refine my love of dancing and it became a very regular thing as uh, as much as I was always intoxicated dancing was just this huge big thing mm. I was working a lot stressed out was sort of on my own traveling was doing a lot there was a lot going on but I was always dancing and I loved dancing I think there'd be depending on who you ask some people would say I'm a terrible dancer some would say I'm an amazing dancer but I guess I didn't really care too much and then um, if we can fast forward to when I stopped drinking properly and I stopped mm. doing drugs properly and I really made a commitment to changing that way of living, uh, part of that meant that I lost my nightlife and I lost dancing again. Mm. Then there was, it would have been a couple of months of me being like just focusing on getting sober, just doing yoga and just doing enough to get myself back to just to being healthy again. Mm. And then I went out one night with a friend I didn't drink, but it was my first night out, and we went out, and I and I danced, and I actually felt quite comfortable doing it. I think maybe, uh, maybe because I was just doing so much yoga, and I was just working through so much stuff, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just feeling, I just wanted to feel free, so I was yeah. dancing. Dancing's where I always go back to to feel free. And a friend of mine noticed, and he said, oh, I didn't realize you're still going out. And I said, yeah, I'm just not going to be drinking. And so he took me out to, um, he took me out to an event, which, uh, if you're familiar with the music style hard style <laughs> no. if you're not youtube some youtube some hard style i don't know what'll come up if you just youtube hard style but it's a it's a very intense i'll youtube hard style music yeah hard style music <laughs> i know that whatever comes up will be a good explanation of, of just sort of how intense this music is and he took me to one of those and i went i think this might be i, I think i feel like i can go to a normal nightclub down to some like house music some like pop music that's cool but going to like a hard style event i'm like that's going to be a lot for me to get into mm. sober. But I did. And as soon as I started moving, uh, my body just remembered it and just remembered the joy of movement. And it's mm. fast and it's hard. Mm. And I was drenched in sweat and mm. it was exhausting. And mm. I went home, shattered and slept amazingly. But it just felt so good to yeah. just move and just move in such an intense uh, manner. And particularly at the time, I just needed to keep burning that energy off while I was working through stuff, while I was working through my sobriety. And I just sort of then was like dancing. It just felt so good to have dancing because um, when I was getting myself sober and I was losing losing those highs for you know for the sake of losing the lows, mm. it was it was like that sort of circling back to what we said before the the realizing that there's still highs. This was it. this is where I realized ah oh, 
the highs weren't coming from the drugs. The highs were coming from the dancing, from yeah. the moving, from the music, just from having fun. And it's so easy when we, we go out and we, we drink and we do drugs to let ourselves go, to let ourselves free, to let ourselves do the fun things. We associate those things with fun. Mm. Whereas if you strip that away and you can work on the insecurity, you can work on the, the cultural challenges, it's not that that was fun. It was the fact that you were social, you were out, you were moving, you were listening to music. That was fun. You were just being free and being human. Obviously, sobriety is now a long-term thing for me, and I don't have any rules or restrictions around it. It's just I just have no interest in it anymore. Mm. So I'd gotten myself sober. I'd spent I spent a summer dancing, still sort of you know coming and going with that. But I I hadn't really found my my people, my place to sort of mm. do this. I guess I was I was going out and I was dancing, and that was good for me. But I was you know I was the only person sober. I was sort of the, the you know the token sober person, and that it was good to do it, but it didn't still didn't feel fully it and then i was in india and i stumbled across an ecstatic dance and i was really nervous and anxious to go because i went it's one thing for me to go sober dancing because i know everyone else is going to be too hammered to notice but to go and be a room full of other people dancing sober that was really quite challenging and i went in and i just let loose in a way that i'd never realized i could let loose i was just you know i i dance in a very particular way where i just feel like i don't really have any bones it's all sort of just very wobbly and flowy but it was just it was just fun and it was beautiful and it was good and I just felt this there was a moment I think where I just closed my eyes and funnily enough as a sort of response to sort of drug taking I found myself almost clenching my jaw which is sort of a response when you've had like lots of MDMA and I was finding finding my body going through this like this trigger response to just completely dropping away like I had no no insecurities no mm past or present it was just as very much in the moment i was just pure bliss just from moving mm. just from dancing in a room full of other people moving and i just went i don't i don't know what this is this is the, this is the strongest drug i've ever had and mm. and i'm sober <laughs> and i just sort of knew there was something with that and then next day i started doing moving meditations when i first started teaching when i was in india this was very much around the same time i started doing moving meditations they were quite structured. It was like just, you know, repetitive movements with breath, with, with breathing. Mm. So you'd move your arms up above your head, you'd breathe in, you'd bring your arms down, you'd breathe out. And we would sort of just do repetitive movements. And I kept, I started adding in shaking meditations where I'd get everyone to just, I'd put intense music on and just get everyone to shake out their hands, shake out their shoulders, build up lots of heat. People would get sweaty. And that just became dancing. Somehow it just became dancing. Yeah. Every week I was doing it, I lost more and more of the um, of the structured movement and just became more about dancing and going through different ways to dance, different different elements to move your body to, whether it was, you know, earth and it was all about tapping your feet and feeling connected, whether it was water and just feeling yourself flowing and feeling all the liquid in your body. And that it just evolved into the way that I guide um, ecstatic dance. Mm. It's like a guided meditation now everyone's dancing and it's your own movement and it's all fully intuitive but i found that i had to do so much work to get to be able to bring myself to that room to fully let go and i mm. went what if there are ways that i can guide people into that in the space of an hour mm. and so that's what ecstatic dance is for me uh when i teach it when i when i guide ecstatic dance which yeah which you got to experience so i talk the entire time mm. and so it's it's somewhere between being a guided meditation and just your own dancing i mean you can zone out and not listen to me if you're in that space great you don't need to listen to me but if you're struggling then you can just keep listening just like you would a guided meditation mm. and if you drift off and you get insecure you get self-conscious you've got my voice to sort of bring you back mm. and that 
for me is just the ultimate experience of life just that full dropping away there's nothing else going on but moving and breathing mm-hmm. and you could be in a wheelchair and still experience it it's such an mm-hmm. internal thing yeah you could be paralyzed from the neck down and you could still sit there and close your eyes and just feel the movement even whether your whether your physical body's moving or not it's yeah. actually irrelevant yeah it's just using your body as a gateway to just feeling good and when you start working with all these practices especially together all of those chemical compounds that you can buy off the street, your brain has the ability to create. Mm. Most of the drugs that you take don't actually give you those chemicals. Mm. So you have the ability to produce all these things. And it's not about getting high. Mm. It's just, uh, you know, if you need something to focus on, <laughs> if you need a reason to bother with all this work, I promise it gets really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think just knowing that, I mean, right now I'm in a sort of strange transition stage in my life and there's a lot more stress in my life than I think I ever imagined having at one time. And mm-hmm. it's actually been a pretty challenging, very challenging year. I feel like I haven't, uh, I've been, haven't been doing enough of the practices that I would like to be doing. Um, I've been putting them aside myself, but just knowing that I can feel these things and knowing that they're out there and having these experiences, even just once or twice, is enough to give me this foundation. Mm-hmm. So not only do the low days not feel as bad, the lows, the, the, you know, the hard times don't feel as bad because I know they're just lessons. They also just have this threshold where I just don't seem to drop under anymore because I know I just have this endless list of things that I can do to work on myself. And if I go through all of that, I'm yet to get to the end of all of my methods and all of these ways of, uh, of being and still feel stuck. And that's a, that's a high that you can't buy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Lots of work, but worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had some great conversations about males and their relationship to their emotions. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about your journey with, I mean, obviously the awareness of the emotions, but also how you've been working on your ability to communicate your emotions as well, mm-hmm. which is something that males, men or the masculine energy people out there don't feel like they get taught. It doesn't necessarily come to them naturally as mm-hmm, such. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, I think it's good. I'm glad you said masculine energy because I do, I, I would say based on, yeah, based on gender that there's definitely more of a cultural weight towards men having an inability to, to talk about their emotions. But I know plenty of women <laughs> who, Absolutely. who struggle and vice versa. My relationship to it was, I guess I I was in a, I had what I would call a pleasant upbringing. It wasn't too, too erratic. It it was, it was good. I got what I needed from it, (laughs) I guess, to have a relatively good foundation to start life. And I'm grateful for that. But I was, you know, raised in a culture and a society where it was, you know, if I was too emotional, I was told very much not to be. I was, I was, I don't think I was ever told not to because I was, a man. No. I don't know that I was ever told to man up or anything, but I was definitely told maybe because I was a man or a boy at the time to not be to not be angry, to not be sad, to stop crying, to do these things. Um, you know, you get told through family members, you get told at school, and it's no one's fault. Yeah. But it does happen. And so I grew up with this belief that that was wrong. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been being punished for it or told mm. off for it. So I believe that it was wrong. And so then you don't really think about it and then you sort of believe and I think a lot of men believe they're not emotional because of that because mm-hmm. they've been they've been convinced that it's wrong to feel these things and to avoid feeling like they're bad people 
they just completely reject the fact that they're feeling emotions. And it's quite amazing the amount of angry, frustrated men that I know who say, I'm, they're not, I'm not emotional. Anger is such a strong emotion. It's about as emotional as you can get. I mean, working with sadness, working with those sorts of things, that's quite easy to work with. They usually just need to save space. But working with anger, I mean, it's, 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 emotion, it's, it's that complete un- like, um, uncontrolled emotion. That's yeah. what it is. It's the full extent of an emotional being mm. that's just got so emotional that it's now coming out in the form of rage. And that's quite funny. I, I, there's, no, I, there's no such thing as an unemotional being. Human. Yeah. yeah. You're a human. You could feel that's it. So I think that's important to start off with, just to sort of clarify that there's Everyone no such thing. Everyone has emotions, yeah. whether they're aware of them or not. Yeah, I used to think I wasn't emotional, just because I was good at not crying. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm not emotional. Yeah. I was To be honest, same with me. Yeah. I, I like, I wore it as like a badge. I'm like, I don't cry in movies, and I don't cry. Nobody's ever seen me cry before. Mm. Like, now I wish I cried more. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I cried for the first time in a little while I've definitely been holding on to myself a little bit too much uh, this year but I cried for the first time a couple of weeks ago and it just felt good it felt familiar now because I've worked with it so much honestly I was waiting for it Yeah. I think I was just going oh good yeah just let me have this and, and now it's great to be on this side where I don't feel I don't feel there's no one telling me off for it in fact I praise myself for it now mm. but yeah sort of I guess Again, things got bad enough for me to to work with it. Yeah. And I'm grateful for the people that basically told me, they were honest with me. I'm grateful for the people that were honest with me enough to tell me that I was being horrible. Um, because without them, I probably wouldn't have noticed. And things got bad enough. And I was in a relationship when I was younger that I, again, thought that I wasn't, I didn't believe I was emotional in. But I was really angry. And it was just, it was... It was, an, it was a relationship that was, that was challenging, and I was very... Young's not, not, the, uh, not the issue. I was young, but I was just inexperienced. I didn't know how to process emotions. Um, I didn't know how to process these things, and so everything just came up in anger and, and frustration. And then once that relationship ended and I was on my own, I suddenly didn't have the relationship to blame. I didn't have the other person to blame for my anger and my frustration. I just had me. Mm. And at the same time, I moved... This is when I moved back to, moved to Sydney on my own. And I just had me and I had no one else to blame. And I'm grateful for that. I'm so glad that I took myself there and I'd sort of, I don't know that I'd pushed anyone else. I don't know that I pushed anyone away, but I had pushed myself away from other people. And that, and that was it. And so my relationship to my, to my emotions, being a man and being emotional came through being alone Mm. and suddenly going, I've got no one else to blame it on. I've got no, there's nothing else here. It's just me and I'm still angry and I'm still upset and I'm feeling really lonely and these are all emotions. Oh, that must mean I'm emotional. That must mean I can feel emotions, right? I've got to process this. And I didn't know how to communicate that. The majority of the men around me did not know how to communicate that, nor did they have the desire that I was starting to have. Mm. So a lot of my emotional work did come from working with women. Um, it came from, I just started to befriend a lot of women. I found it easier to talk to women because I found them more comfortable to, more comfortable talking about their emotions and how they felt. And for a long while, I pretty much only had friends that were women because I just needed that space to feel 
there was just less judgment, and I guess mm. that's that cultural thing. It's sort mm. of uh, there's conditioning that it's okay for women to be emotional, not okay for men. But mm. within that space of women, I, it was okay for me to express myself, and so yeah. that was really good. And I'm really grateful for that for a long time. But then last year, when I came home to Auckland, particularly to Auckland, uh, to coming back to New Zealand, I just went. There's something that I want to work on with men. I feel good. I feel I've done a lot of crying. I've been angry. I've worked through that. I'm feeling really good with my emotions and I feel really comfortable communicating that with women. I want to talk to men about this now. Mm. And I came home and um, also a week after I came home last year, I found out that I was going to be a dad. Yes, <laughs> quite big news to receive and do yeah. it. Yeah, and, uh, and, and so this all sort of tied into that. It gave me a bit more motivation. I also then eventually found out I was going to have a son. We're in a different world now to, to when I was growing up, and my son may, you know, may not choose to associate with any particular gender role, but I do know that he's still going to be growing up in a world where there's going to be cultural conditioning. Mm. And so it's important for me. It just became more 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 apparent to me that this was important work and that I can't... It, it, it's got to go further than just me. I've got to work with men on this and I've only done that personally I've Mm. only done that through just through my personal life everyone whether it's you know women who associate with that you know that unemotional mask or whether it's men or whatever it is everyone wants to talk about what's going on everyone wants to be able to feel they just need to be put in a safe space to do that and I found that the best way that I've been able to do that is just to talk about how I'm feeling Mm. and to talk about how I'm feeling Maybe in the past tense, I think, is easier to deal with. So it's very easy for me to say, oh, I felt really angry about this in the past. I feel like that's a little bit less confronting for for me to talk about when I first started talking about it, less confronting for other people as well. I had one particular really good male friend that's lasted all the way since we've been through almost the whole school system together. Mm -hmm. We went in different directions when we left school and then we sort of came back together and he's been a friend of mine that I've had for a really long time. And we came from different family backgrounds, but we still had an element of, you know, struggling to talk about how we feel. And I used to think that he just was, you know, always happy and didn't deal with these things and was always very calm and very content, didn't think that he ever really got angry or frustrated or upset. Mm. And until until we started talking more and more and I started talking to him about how, how I was feeling and what I was going through, and then he started talking to me about how he was going. And now we just have this... It's taken a little bit of time and work, but now we just have this beautiful relationship where we answer we hang up the phone by saying we love each other yeah and it's just like the the work that i've done with just like these male relationships these male friendships is just so inspiring because if you think about emotions on the full spectrum yeah happiness is Mm. an emotion pain you know sadness anger those are all there's there's different ends of a spectrum but they're all emotions so if Mm. you cut yourself out from feeling emotions you cut yourself out from feeling all emotions Mm. I think it's easier to cut out happiness because when you're cutting out anything and you're limiting yourself, you're more likely to feel low than high. And so we have this super vulnerable, uh, the super vulnerable relationship where we, and I've got, I have another, like I've got these two beautiful male friends that are sort of my, my family and they, the three of us together just have, just have this complete openness and vulnerability constantly, you know, talking about how we're feeling and what's going on. And honestly, I just feel more masculine than I've ever felt because mm. of it. And I just feel more, I just feel stronger as a man, which is not something I would have ever thought I would have said based on an emotional experience yeah. um, years ago. So my my journey came through that safe space of woman. 
but ultimately it had to go towards working with men and that's a big part of why I love being a yin yoga teacher as a male because yin yoga is a particularly feminine practice it's a very emotional practice Mm. it's a very flowy practice and there's also the vast majority of yoga teachers I find in the western world are women and so there's this important important place that I like to find myself in as a male yin yoga teacher where I'm being vulnerable and I'm helping other people be vulnerable as a man and it's starting to bring in more men and it's good I'm starting to have more emotional conversations with the general public men but yeah my view on it is that there's not much of a difference between men and women mm. not when you break down the, the the cultural identities there's a there's masculine and feminine energies in all of us and it's easy to associate with masculine or feminine whether you're a man or a woman you can on a very surface level, it's easy to be painted as a man or a woman just based on the biology that you were born with. And then you can you can step a little bit deeper than that and associate with I'm a masculine woman or I'm a feminine man or vice versa. Mm. I think if you step a little bit deeper than that, we're all just people with a combination of energies flowing back and forth and we're complex beings. And simply put, there's no time where we're one particular thing like what I talked about before, where there's that core essence of you, there's that core essence of you, but you're able to flow through all these different states. Sometimes I take a masculine role. Sometimes I take a feminine role. (laughs) Sometimes I just want to feel really low and watch friends. (laughs) And sometimes I feel really strong and I'm able to hold other people in an emotional state. Um, Mm. Sometimes I feel frustrated and angry. Uh, I still go through all those things, but I'm just more aware that none of them are what makes me a man. Mm. None of them are what makes me masculine or feminine or too masculine or too feminine, I think, more importantly to say. It's all good. Mm. It's all good unless it's hurting you. Mm. If you're a assertive, strong person who's able to hold other people and are able to sit with your own emotions... It doesn't matter uh, what else is going on. It doesn't Mm. matter what you once believed is right or wrong and what someone else thinks. If you're a man and you're looking at trying to just feel and embrace yourself a little bit more, but you're you're worried about being... Uh, you're being named a feminine man or you're worried about losing touch with your friends or losing touch with this, again, it's just like your clothes, just like your thoughts, just like all of your things that that are temporary. If you go towards, if you go away from something that's painful and you start working with something that makes you feel good and makes you feel better, even if it's uncomfortable or challenging to begin with, but you're getting called to it, if you're getting called to open up and let yourself feel a little more and you're wanting to have more vulnerable conversations, start having them. The people around you who start to get uncomfortable and can't cope with it are blocking you from being able to feel your full self. And there is an abundance of people out there. There is an abundance of men out there who want to feel and want to talk about these things. Mm. But if we're all quiet, Mm. we're never going to hear each other. We're never going to meet each other. And we're never going to create enough space for everyone else to, to join in. Letting yourself be emotional doesn't mean that then you suddenly walk around crying all the time. I don't walk around crying all the time, but occasionally I'll watch something on TV uh, and I'll cry. Very rarely, mostly because I don't watch a lot of and I don't watch a lot of stuff. But but I'm so much more sensitive to like to the emotions of other things now, depending on what state I'm in. And that doesn't mean that it's now I've got emotions in the way. What it means is I've got emotions. I'm, I'm now I'm able to more fully embrace life because emotions are a part of that. 
Mm. Emotions are a part of life. Thoughts are a part of life. You are a part of life. And if you're feeling things, awesome. It means you're living. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Epic. No, I think that's great. I think it's really cool how the action step or where to start is actually hopefully relatively an easy step to do, which is start sharing your own emotions with mm. the other people around you, whether they're the women around you or whether they're men around you. But just start start being vulnerable with the people around you first. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a yeah really good way to start. And I know that there's... Uh, as I, th- I was quite fortunate that I had taken myself away from the group of men that I went to school with at a, quite an early age. I very quickly moved into sort of into a life where I was a bit more free on my own Mm. Um, and I moved overseas on my own quite young and so it was very easy for me to go well I'm making the choice to make new friends I'm more comfortable being friends with women right now because I want to talk about how I'm feeling and so that made it easy and you don't need to do that you definitely don't need to move away and do that that was easier for me it might be really challenging if you if you don't have anyone around you who's willing to listen Something that I've only done very recently was I've started, because I do have, now I've got this abundance of, of people, that, the people that are close in my life, I can talk about anything. Mm. There's not a single thought that crosses my mind that I can't share with with my girlfriend, that I can't share with my friends, that I, I mean, my family might not always be ready to hear it, but I tell them anyway. And that's that's cool. That's great. That, that takes a bit of time, and now I'm there, and that feels really, really good. But um, if you're not there and you've got a... Uh, you've got a block, no one's listening, um, and you are telling them, and mm. no one's listening. I think I'd really, I really want to break down the stigma around therapy and getting, uh, maybe even not even saying getting help, just finding someone to, to talk to. I know that there's, we still have a stigma around mental health, no matter how much of a push it is. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and call a therapist, but go to a yoga class and talk to your yoga teacher. Mm. Yeah. Again, not everyone's gonna not everyone's gonna hear it, but go to a place where someone's working with people and just open up a line of conversation. You know, go to a yoga class and go there ten minutes earlier and go and chat to the teacher. You know, I can't speak for all yoga teachers, but I absolutely love it when people do that to my class because that's how I started doing it. Mm. When I first went to that Yin Yoga class years ago, and I went in and sat with the teacher. I think I sat with her after the class, but I sat with her and just went, "Look, I'm trying to get sober. I'm really stuck." And uh, and she just let me talk, and she related to me, and I just went, ah, oh, this huge weight's lifted off my shoulders, and that's it. All it takes is just relating to one person for you to go, okay, cool, I'm not completely alone. Great, now I can do this. Mm. And so there are places, and yeah, there is a responsibility on you to go and do that. But once you do it, that responsibility's just lifted. I have had uh, a couple of sessions in the last couple of months with a with a therapist, which is something I've done for the f- uh, I haven't done before. That's a new thing for me, just to trying to get myself a little more support through the work that I'm doing now because I I have this abundance, this platform, this support network. But you know, sometimes I just want to I just want to have fun with them. I just want to love them. I don't necessarily want to be constantly piling stuff on them. So mm. I thought I'd give this a try, and that was so good. Mm. There's so much to it, just having someone someone who's trained to listen. Mm. It's good, and that helps. And the more you do that, and the more you don't get a negative response, the more you associate that with a positive response, and then it becomes less scary to talk. And then now, you know, I'm quite happy, you know, <laughs> to 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 go on a podcast or to sit in front of a room full of room full of yoga students and just sort of say, <laughs> "I'm not feeling good today," yeah, <laughs> and that's cool. It might be a little while before I feel good again, but but that's okay. And then when you do that, everyone else goes, "Ah, oh, yeah, okay, cool." 
great, I can let myself down a little bit. Yeah. And then we don't feel as bad. Because guilt is half yeah. the issue, really, isn't it? That's it. Just that, yeah, that exactly, yeah, feeling guilty, like I shouldn't feel this way, I should be able to deal with this on my own. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and, you know, it's nice to be able to, but you, you don't, don't have to. Yeah. And there is, no, and it doesn't belittle you, you don't lose your strength as a person by reaching out. In fact, it's the opposite way around. And I feel like that's been said over and over again, you know, that, like, real men cry or that, mm. you know, it's 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 strong to ask for help, not the other way around. But but those are just words, and I'm not sure that it's still something that we're living as a collective yet. So if I can just sort of reinforce that, that there is a that there is ways to do it, and it's hard work. But once you do that work, it feels good. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah. So arguably, all relationships mm. exist to teach us something. Is there a particular relationship in your life that has helped to? shape or helped you to evolve in some way and and I'd love to hear a little bit about the the how I suppose or what the particular lesson that you did learn in that relationship as well a lot of relationships come to mind uh very very quickly I think and you can call me out if this is a cop out I'm gonna say my relationship to loneliness yeah which is essentially the relationship to myself or a lack Mm. of relationship to Mm. myself I have been in and out of various different relationships, long-term, short-term. I'm currently in in a relationship, which is just amazing. And that's a result of all the work I've done. And, you know, there's obviously relationships to do with friends and family and all sorts of things. But for a big chunk of my life, I didn't really feel like I had any sort of worthwhile relationships. I would have had some brewing in the background, or at least ones that I just wasn't paying attention to, but I felt like I was alone. Um, this was after a big big breakup when I was younger. I was in a relationship for the first three years of my adult life, and then I went off on my own, and I was on my own, essentially. There was mm. you know, people in and out, but I was essentially on my own. I felt like I was on my own the whole time for years. And um, just like I was talking about before, that was the first time I really got to face myself and go, oh, I can't blame anyone else for this stuff. I really got to see what was what was mine, and the sense of what I was carrying and what was really me. And I got to just sort of see what do I actually like and what do I not like. I think the relationships that I've been in with other people, like intimate relationships I've been in, have, in the past, have helped me realize what I don't like. But what, how I've learned and, and what doesn't work for me. But the relationship to myself and my relationship to what was once loneliness, which has now just uh, become about being alone, which is Mm. a very different thing. Mm. My relationship with myself has taught me what I love. And only through that have I been able to move into this new relationship now, which which I'm consciously, which we're consciously working on. I've only been able to move into that because of all the time I spent alone. Mm. And I just can't stress enough how powerful and how necessary the relationship with yourself is. Mm. And it goes beyond just, you know, knowing that once a week, you know, once a week you go and do a particular class and that feels good. It's being able to be completely on your own doing nothing. And that I think a great way to, to work on that is things like journaling and things like that where you're just focusing on yourself. But that relationship what I've learned from being alone is who am I through all of my different stages Mm. I when I'm alone 
when I'm when you when anyone's alone, we don't have our numbing devices. Mm. If you're alone and you're not doing anything, if you're just out for a walk or something like that, you're just alone with your thoughts. You've got very little distractions, and all this work that I'm talking about about you know working out who you are, coming to your 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 true essence of your true self. That's the sort of, I think that's the big. That's the big problem. Our, our lives are so filled with stimulation. We've got, and <laughs> not to sound like a, I guess a broken record with the whole, you know, we're all very aware that our phones are, <laughs> are an issue in so many ways. Absolutely. And I've got, you know, my phone and I use my phone. I'm not saying boycott your phone completely, but we do have this continuous stimulation, this continuous attachment. I was actually having a conversation today about, about like times when I've said goodbye to people when I've moved countries and I've said goodbye and I've had this really big time, you know, big hard time saying goodbye because I knew it was like a, we might not see each other ever again. But that's not true anymore because I can just send them a message, you know, tomorrow, 10 years from now, it doesn't matter. I can still send them a message. They're there. It's not even like phone numbers anymore. You still have your, as long as your name's your name and you don't change your name and you don't leave any trace for changing your name, which even then is still challenging because, you know, you've got friends of friends and everyone's connected so we're very rarely alone, mm. properly alone. There's always some way to sort of numb that loneliness, but only in that complete isolation of yourself do you cultivate a relationship with yourself. And I do believe to some extent that with only through the deep relationship with yourself can you cultivate and enter uh, relationships with other people. Mm. It's like asking when you make a new friend, when you enter a potential romantic relationship, when you're building family bonds, you're asking someone to tell them who you are. You're asking what some, what does someone like? What do they do? What are they like in different situations? Are they going to be someone that you can spend your time with? And it's not very fair to ask them that if you can't ask, you can't answer those questions for yourself. Mm. So yeah, I don't know if it's a cop out to sort of say that all. the most important relationship is a relationship with myself. Because it, it's the truth as well yeah all there really is is you know is, is you're either that. with yourself or you're with other people yeah you're always in relationships yeah and i guess that's it we cling to relationships and mm. again it's, a, it's another thing that i feel is definitely not my thought it's come from other places but we are conditioned through you know, movies, TV from our parents from different generations and different expectations, different cultural backgrounds, especially if you've got a religious background or something like that. There's always this pressure and this belief that you have to be in a relationship to be happy mm. and that you have to find someone and do that and then you'll be good. There's two things that I have a problem with there. One, I completely disagree with it. I've spent a lot of time on my on my uh, a lot of time on my own and I've absolutely loved it and adored it and I absolutely adore being in this relationship that I'm in now only because I feel like it's just continuing my growth as an individual. But if that relationship fell away for any reason, I would know that I have myself. And not as any sort of backup, but just because I've still got myself in mm. this relationship. And mm. that's why that's sort of the most important relationship is the relationship to yourself. Yeah. That allows you to be able to confidently be in a relationship knowing that if the worst happened you'd be okay because you've got you. You're never alone if you have you. Mm. If you're your own friend, if you're your own lover even, mm. if you can find a way to love yourself, then mm. then it's all good. And you have to spend that time facing loneliness to start to reassociate. 
being alone with something mm. positive. Mm. I've recorded a lot of videos about climbing trees and getting up early for sunrises and things like that because that's just, it's been for a long time, it was just sort of my me time. It was very much a going and just doing something that I love to do. No one else wanted to come with me. <laughs> too early. It's too early. I'd, I'd ask people and then I just sort of stopped asking people. And I think because I started seeing the beauty in it of just doing it with me. And um, if there's something that you love to do. I love swimming in the ocean even when it's freezing cold. I love climbing trees. I love doing things like that. And I still do. There's still quite a few things now that I do on my own. I don't need a lot of alone time. In fact, I I don't enjoy alone time. I still don't. I never, mm. never have. As a preference, I would still prefer to be with other people. Yeah. Um, but I would rather do what I want to do on my own than do something that I didn't want to do with other people or do something that I wanted to do with people that I didn't fully connect with. Mm. And so that's why that personal relationship is the most important because that gives you your threshold. That gives you that gauge. Mm. If you don't feel connected to you and you'd rather hang out with someone else other than you, then you'll just keep letting toxic people into your life. And so that relationship to you helps you it gives you that filter so before I got into the relationship that I'm in now I a sort of thought was going through my mind when I was starting to go okay I've been by choice on my own for quite a while I've sort of had a bit of an energetic block up to to, to letting anyone else into my life I had other things going on I felt like in the past I would have been you know looking for someone to be in a relationship and I would have been comparing them to either past relationships or other people around you know mm. just picture a classic scene you'll go out somewhere whether it's to a party or whatever some sort of social engagement and you'll be sort of looking who do you find most attractive before I got into this relationship the process I was going through was I'm now comparing any potential relationship with the relationship to myself I'm going I love myself so much and I love doing the things that I do I love my life so much that someone else who's someone who wants to come into this space with me isn't competing with anyone else. They're competing with me. Mm. Only if they're going to improve my life more or at least, you know, be able to sort of be a part of this fantastic journey that I'm on already, only if they're going to be offering more than that, is it going to be a healthy relationship? Mm. Uh, and I set that bar really, really high. And that just came from, yeah, finding that way to, to just go out go out with yourself, go and take yourself on dates. Yeah. <laughs> Build a relationship with yourself, yeah. Just like if you could write down, write down, if you're if you're on your own right now and you're single and you're not necessarily loving it, write down a whole load of date ideas that you would love to do with someone else and then go and do them. Yeah. Just go and do them. That's cool. Yeah. You may find, you know, in future it's more fun to do with someone else, but it doesn't matter. Right now you've got you. And that's it. Yeah. You'll always have you, so you can mm. always do those things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Love that. In my last job, I used to travel for work a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I'd always be going out for dinners and all my meals would be by myself. And it's very, very uncomfortable the first couple of times you do it. But once you do it, you're like, it's it's okay, you know? But, yeah, that discomfort yeah. again. I've been in a um, relationship uh, now for a little while, and that's that's it's amazing and I feel really supported and that was a big thing for me for more just to be supported mm. that was sort of a big crucial thing that was about the only real thing that I wanted to sort of bring in but and now I'm getting a little bit complacent every so often because now I'm like I'd prefer to do this thing with her I'd prefer to do these things with my friends rather than go and do stuff on my own so I'm getting a little bit I can get complacent with it so I so I do still resonate with it I still know mm. it's a, it's a something mm. you've got to work through but 
but it doesn't take much. It's a lot easier to maintain than it is to build. Once mm. you've built it, it doesn't take Just much to maintain it. Yeah. Mm. And that's why it's worth doing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And out of all the practices we've talked about today or any other practices, if you are feeling a little disconnected with yourself, what is your you know, your one favourite practice that you would go to to re- mm-hmm. reconnect, find that authentic connection with yourself? That, I want to, I think instantly I want to say yin yoga. Mm. Yeah, yin yoga because uh, I just, I think it's just, that's the groundwork. Yeah. I think it's the groundwork and so that's where I would say it's probably the easiest to direct to. If this is something that you're, if you're only just starting to look at practices that work for you and you sort of want a place to start or you've maybe feel like you've fallen off um, for a little while and you want to know how to sort of get back into things, then I would always say come back to yin yoga because it's that space. It's that mm. time with yourself. Mm. It's that relationship with yourself. Mm. Breathwork and ecstatic dance are as, as well. And again, if yin yoga is not quite working for you, try the other ones, but yin yoga would be my go-to. Yeah. And it is my go-to. Mm. A lot of my yin practice actually just comes from me teaching yin yoga classes, but it's that 75 minutes where I'm just completely still Mm. and I'll guide people into the poses. Maybe I'll stay in them for a little bit. Maybe I'll come out and I'll just support everyone else in their postures. But at least it's that, you know, once a week where I get to do that twice a week, however many times a week it is that I'm doing that, that I'm fully there. And yin yoga is just that coming back because we're rushing, rushing all the time. We're busy. And even when we're still, even when we've got nothing to do, we're going crazy in our minds. What can we do next? What are we planning ahead for? But yin mm. yoga just goes, it's here, it's now. And I think that that shift back into stillness is important. It gives you both ends of the spectrum. There's enough movement going on, find some stillness. Mm. Once you feel really nice and calm in that still space, then start to breathe and dance. Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> and... Yeah, again, of either the practices we've talked about today or other practices, what would be your favourite way to connect really authentically with others? Uh, dancing? Yeah. Yeah, ecstatic dance, I think, I mean, because it's still a personal practice, but... Oh, no, I actually, I want to I want to change that. I want to step away from the sort of structured practices and yeah. just say shared challenge. There was... So there's something that I like to do myself, uh, and I'm starting to do it where I did it this morning with my partner. Um, We went for a swim in the ocean. It's not that cold at the moment, but I'm calling her out on this podcast. (laughs) She's not a huge fan of cold water. Ah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But doing something with other people, whether you know them or not, doing something that's outside of your comfort zone with other people is an amazing way to connect with other people. Mm. It would have been last summer. I took a couple of friends, one friend who I've been close with for a while, one friend who I actually knew in high school, and he just happened to be in Auckland for a, a few days. Mm. Just It was just really good timing. I you know, I knew him well in high school, but we hadn't spoken for years. One other guy who is another yoga teacher, and he brought along another friend who I didn't meet. So there was sort of a bit of an odd mix. A couple mm. of friends of mine, someone I sort of knew, someone I didn't know. Yeah. So there was, a peop- there was some people I was re- like, one I was really close to and then sort of this spectrum of people to who I didn't know. Yeah. And I invited them all out to go and climb just like a little like 10-minute hike up to um, to Kitty Falls and next to Piha. Yeah. And even in the middle of summer, the water at the top of the waterfall is like, ice cold. Yeah. And we all went up there super early in the morning and we all got up for sunrise super early. Everyone was still asleep. We got up. We must have got up at like 4 or 5. Yeah, before sunrise, so it would have been like 4-ish. 
I was super happy with that. Everyone was a little bit like, okay, this is this is pushing the limit. So already just that, just the act of getting up super early, getting in the car together, we all drove out and we had some really vulnerable conversations in the car that we we're sort of already getting into that like discomfort place. And then we climb up, um, we climb up the this hill and we get to the top of the waterfall and I'm like, cool, who's who's stripping off? So we all, I just got completely naked. Everyone gets completely naked and it's just five men, completely naked, very vulnerable. We're in a, I don't know, I grew up quite like culturally uncomfortable with nudity. Yeah. Especially in front of men, or to be honest, in front of anyone. And so we're already, we're just, I'm just lining up things to make us uncomfortable to put us in that, in that state of discomfort out of our comfort zone. So we're naked and it's early in the morning and everyone's asleep and uh, we all just jump into this ice cold water and instantly there's just this, like this buzz and this connection because we're all feeling the same thing. We're all feeling the morning. We're all feeling insecure. We're all feeling worried about how we look, worried about what other people are thinking we're men and we've got this cultural thing when you're cold you know certain things <laughs> start to start to change shape and start to change size and it, and it starts to and it can put you and that's very uncomfortable and yeah. very vulnerable and you're all and we just had to you have to move past that and doing that together with a group of people just the bond that we shared yeah this is one of my absolute favorite memories and i haven't three of these guys i haven't really actually seen much since then but i just know if i walked if I bumped into them on the street in five years, it would just be like seeing a brother. Yeah. Because of that, just that rich, deep connection of just from going and doing something that was safe, mm. but out of our comfort zone. Mm. Yeah, we then got out of the cold water. We all just, you know, we we're all just naked and nature at the top of this waterfall. And we, we all stood up at the top of this waterfall and we all just started howling. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's so uncomfortable to just be doing something that's just so animal and so weird and so yeah. strange and and we're all, you know, we're all we're all laughing at ourselves because we're all embarrassed. Yeah. And it doesn't matter because if we're all embarrassed, it doesn't matter. So just doing something that's slightly out of your comfort zone um, with people, I just found is the most incredible way to, to bond. And, and that's sort of it. That's why, I like, in this relationship now with my partner where I love to just go jump in cold water with her because every time we do it, just afterwards, we've just got this rush of, like, we've just done that together. We've faced that together. And that's amazing. It's actually a really good way to build a relationship with yourself as well. Mm. Go and do those things, things that you want to do. Yeah. Or maybe even you don't want to do, but you you want to look at the benefits of it. Yeah, shared, challenging experience. Mm. That's, where I'd say, the biggest way. That might be that you take some friends along to a yoga class and it's hard for all of you and afterwards you get to talk about it. Mm. Or you go and jump into some freezing cold water at the top of a waterfall super early in the morning. Or it's, I guess, if anyone, if you've ever traveled and, you know, spent time backpacking in, in India and every time you just meet someone on a bus, you're in that shared place of discomfort. It's 40 degrees. You haven't eaten properly for a couple of days. One of you's had food poisoning that you had the last week and you're all sharing that story. And that is just this incredible way to bond you. Yeah. It's just this whole, I'm human. I'm raw. Here I am. Here's, here's me. Mm. And you just strip away all that stuff and you get to see each other properly. Mm. And... And I don't think there's anything like that to, to build connections. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's really great. Because you think back to all of your own examples and you're mm. like, yeah, there are those people who you may not keep up with them regularly, but you know that you'll always be friends because yeah. of that thing that you did together. That shared experience, yeah. yeah. If, you're, um, if you're heading out on a date or you've just got some friends that you haven't seen for a little while and you sort of want to work on those bonds, think of something that you're maybe not terrified of but like slightly afraid of so if you're if you're not super comfortable with heights 
go and do like a high ropes course or something mm. like that. I don't know, go and climb a tree, go and do mm. something that's a little bit uncomfortable and just mm. enjoy that together. Mm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and then again, your favorite way or practice to connect with the earth, I suppose. Mm. Well, I don't wear shoes. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. I love that one. Um, my sister, that was my sister's answer to that question, actually. And yeah. It's so, so simple, but so perfect. It's so simple. It's so simple, and there's nothing like it. I mean, it's. I mean, I live in Auckland, yeah. So there's concrete pretty much most of the time where I'm walking, you know. And I do drive a lot of the places where I am. I'm living quite like far out of the like central area, so there's a lot of do a lot of driving. So my feet are always bare, but they're not often on the earth. But that's the biggest way is to yeah, mm. just go barefoot as often as you can. Mm. Climb a tree. Mm. Have that. Have that physical sensory experience with the earth where you can feel the you know you can feel dirt in your toes you can feel yeah. sand jumping in the ocean and mm. you can feel the salt feel mm. the the cold water just mindfully mm. being out in nature but mm. if, it's, if there's just sort of one thing it's the whole no shoes yeah because there's there's a lot of things that happen um when you're not wearing shoes not only do you get to just have this interesting sensory experience which helps you be really present because when you're wearing shoes you're comfortable when you're comfortable, you don't need to think. Mm. But when you take your shoes off, especially if you're not used to not wearing shoes, first time you go and step out onto some rocks, onto some tree branches, onto there's at the moment we're going into summer, so there's a lot of prickles out in the grass. The first time you go and do it, if you're not used to it, it's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to bring you some presence. Yeah. That's going to help you go, wow, okay. Normally, I ignore this stuff. All this nature is going on, even just in the park in the middle of the city mm. is going on, and I don't notice it normally because I'm mm. comfortable, mm. so I don't need to. And again, you don't need to, but mm. if you want to connect to the earth, then you, yeah, give it a go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, just touching that, touching the earth, and getting up early. <sighs> oh, I've got two. I've got, I've got loads. We could do a whole podcast yeah, on this. But yeah, getting absolutely. up, take your shoes off. And get up early. There's some, there's that. It's challenging in summer because it's sunrise is super early at the moment. But the, those few moments before, those few moments before sunrise, not the actual sunrise, but the few moments before, if you can, if you've got the time, if you really want to have a big proper connection. And again, you can mix this and do this with other people. Bring some friends along to do this. This is a good reminder for myself because I haven't done this for a, for a, probably a couple of months and it would be really good to, to do it again, uh, especially going into summer, going into this sort of new year. Go and take yourself out somewhere just far enough out if, if, you're, and if you're living in the city or you're in a small town, somewhere far enough to get away from like some street lights and house lights at night and put yourself somewhere where you can see that where you're going to be able to see the sunrise. But get up an hour and a half or so before the sunrise mm. and watch the whole hour and a half experience that comes from the sunrise so first light is about 90 minutes before sunrise, before mm. the sun actually comes up and we can see it. We start to see this little glimmer of light. And so what you look at is this big dark sky and you'll still see stars or clouds or whatever it is that's going on. And you'll start to see this tiny little glimmer of light that's coming up over the horizon. And on a clear morning, it's just amazing. This whole hour and a half long rainbow experience comes up and you get to just watch the world go from mm. nighttime to daytime in this most incredible in-depth manner and eventually you'll hear birds moving you'll hear that you'll feel the temperature change you'll feel the wind change you'll feel the weather change just from the sun coming up you'll feel those first little touches of sunlight touching your skin and there's absolutely nothing like it if mm. you can take your time out if you can take yourself out for that 
if you can give yourself a night away and a morning to do that, it's it's incredible. Mm. That's a good way to go, oh, okay, I'm a part of all of it. <laughs> and I'm a small bit. And I'm, I'm a small and a ginormous bit universe. of something, yeah, huge and amazing. And we all, we can all see this, especially living in New Zealand. We're so blessed with clear skies and no pollution and a lot mm. of a lot of places where we can quite quickly get to the coast to see the sun rising above the water and just mm. feeling that moment of stillness there. Mm. If you're struggling to meditate, try meditating at that time of the morning. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you so much for your wisdom today, my Logan. Absolute, that was my pleasure. Delightful. <laughs> so yeah, and it sounds like we'll have to do some more podcasts, a little yeah. series on breathwork. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Some series on how to how to survive barefoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What an incredible conversation and so much wisdom from Logan. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to find out more about what he's up to, on Instagram he is at rewild.community. His website is the same. It's www.rewild.community. And yeah, if you have any friends who would appreciate this conversation, I would love for you to share it with them also leave a review on the iTunes podcast app and so that helps other people to find the podcast Uh, yeah thank you so much for joining and I'll talk to you all very soon